You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call us. Today is the Power Hour. I've got the guys from Pittsburgh Power here helping me out. Looks like we've got Bruce and John and somebody new, Jr. And uh, we're going to get to your calls in just a little bit. Let me bring those guys on, and we'll get started. Bruce, welcome. Well, Kevin, thank you for having us. It's always a pleasure. Great to have you here. And we're going to bring on John and Jr. Hey, John, and welcome, Jr. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Good. Good. So, so Jr. JR well, uh, Ethan's on vacation. Bye. Ethan's, Ethan's on vacation this week, so I brought JR in. JR is one of our uh, engineers, and he's uh, becoming quite a tuner as well. So, Great. JR. Great. All right. Kevin, Great to have him. Kevin, JR is, JR is the fellow I told you about that was uh, trained to be an electrical engineer by Samsung in Riverside, California. Ah, got it. So. And now he's in trucking. That's awesome. <laughs> he wanted to live in Pennsylvania. <laughs> there you go. So, how did you guys survive the uh, truck show? Truck show was absolutely wonderful. It took me two and a half days before I got my voice back to normal. But it's uh, it's quite the reunion. I see we see a lot of the same people. Probably seventy percent of the people that come into the booth are existing customers. And it's always nice to see them and chat with them. And what's amazing is we see them more than we see our own cousins. So it's, uh, yeah. it's become a close-knit group. And you look forward just to seeing the people again because that's, sometimes you see them in the shop and sometimes you don't. And, but you always know you're going to see them at the Louisville and or Dallas Truck Show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this year for me at the show, I did a lot of two things. I did a lot of talking because I had seven seminars, and then between all the seminars, I'm talking to people. And this year, I did a lot of walking because I had three places I needed to be. Um, Our area where your booth was, the seminar room, and then the truckstop.com booth where I was doing seminars. And if you tried to draw the biggest triangle you could draw and still be in that show, those were the three points I had to get to. They couldn't have been farther apart. <laughs> you need one of those scooters. Yeah. So um, we had a great show, though. Uh, thank you for uh, the enjoyable evening at dinner. I got to, to talk to Mark Chappell, and that was just an awesome experience. What a wealth of knowledge he is. He was one of the smartest engineers Cummins has ever had. 
And he started out as a gearhead, went to Purdue in the evenings, and before he had graduated, Cummins saw the potential in that man and made him um, a mechanical engineer. And I was sitting in his office the day he got his letter saying that you have enough seniority, you can retire. And that was the day I hired him. I knew I wanted that guy on our staff. Yeah, it was uh, it was a great experience sitting next to him at dinner, and we talked the whole time. And he's just I I could talk to him for a very very long time. That was a a lot of great information. Hey, I, I've got a question, and then I'll see if you guys want to start with anything. Um, I wasn't aware that you leak test the exhaust system on the newer trucks. Is that something you guys are familiar with? Oh, we haven't. No, that's something that we've done here. I, there have been cases where we've had to pressurize the exhaust system. We've used the smoke tester before to uh, look for a leak. Uh, and leaks in the exhaust system will definitely cause you some is- issues with the after-treatment system. They don't like uh, pure oxygen getting in there. But uh, okay. that's not something we do commonly, but I, I could see it being a useful test. And we have done it before, but uh, not something that we do as common practice. Okay. And, and really I, obvious. They leave a they leave, they leave a mark. You could usually find one or hear one or see it when the truck's running. Got it. And the reason I ask, I wasn't familiar with with doing that, but I was reading some newsletters this morning and I saw Bosch just released a smoke machine to test the after treatment system, the exhaust. Um, and I'm it looks like a great machine. In fact, it has more pressure than most of the machines I've seen. So. I didn't see a price or anything, but it might be a great one for doing a smoke test on the intake side. Uh, it could work for both. We could, you could even seal the whole thing up and test the, test the whole deal front to back. Um, huh. Leroy and I had talked about doing that at one point when he was here to just do the uh, seal up the tailpipe, basically, and eventually it's going to fill it all up. Um, so that's or you know, pressurize it and wheel the engine around by hand. Uh, to open and close the exhaust valves to get pressure, to stabilize the pressure between the intake and the exhaust. So we could test everything all at once that way. But that's a that's a clever idea. You need a smoke tester with a fair amount of volume, though. I bet that that tester they've got's probably got more volume than the one we've got. Well, that's what interested me. It's got more volume and more pressure than the one I had. I think it right. pressurizes up 30 psi and more volume. I'll look into that. So that's, uh, yeah. Bosch makes it. Bosch makes it. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, after the show today. I'll send it over the. I think I had an email on it. I'll send it over. Yeah, shoot me a link. I haven't seen that yet. But I'll tell you, All small right. leaks on the uh, with the two differential differential pressure sensors you've got on the uh, one on the DOC and one on the uh, on the DPF that are really sensitive. So a tiny leak. We had a small crack in a weld uh, on one of the bungs that holds one of the uh, temp sensors. And it was enough to throw off the uh, the differential differential pressure once, and it was a really tiny leak. It, it was almost naked to the uh, to the eye. It was just a slightly undercut weld, and the bung had cracked out of the. Uh, I believe it was in the DPF, and it was enough to, uh, to to upset that thing. So I could see how that's useful. Yeah, interesting. All right, I'll send that over. Anything you guys want to uh, start with today? Well, Kevin, what um, did you think of the split separator? Oh, that is a thing of beauty. It, 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 even if it doesn't work, I just like looking at it. But it sounds like it works. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
<laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> John, give the report on the ISX we did last. Uh, we Friday. just did, we just did it. We we just did an ISX and we did a simple installation on it. I'm going to call the simple installations the ones that just go right on the intake manifold where the EGR enters. And now that that'll be useful for keeping the soot out of the engine and out of the oil and in protecting ring lands from packing up and and keeping the crosshatch in the cylinders and protecting the valves. But it's difficult sometimes to mount this thing, as I've found, before the EGR valve and a bunch of the sensors. It's just packaging-wise, it's really hard to, to do it. But it's quite simple to install it, you know, in the pipe that runs over to the intake. And uh, so I needed to get one, needed to have one on an ISX. We haven't done any testing on an ISX yet. So we had one in here on Friday, and I had one of the units uh, about halfway done. So we finished welding it up, and we did an installation on it Friday. And... Uh, Fella picked it up Thursday or Saturday afternoon and went immediately uh, hooked onto a loaded trailer and worked it for a couple of days and called me back uh, late yesterday and said he picked up 1.1 miles per gallon. So that truck sounds different. It feels different. He said it's just it's just different. He didn't he couldn't say it was more powerful or less. He said it seemed to be have a little bit more power. But he said and this is a this is an ISX that he just bought about four or five months ago. And it uh, had been a problem truck. It had some after-treatment issues. And he picked it up for a song. So we had him in here, and we solved most of his problems. And he came back in. We did have one more check engine light to take care of and a couple other small things. Um, and we took care of that, which had no effect on the mileage. He was, you know, it, it was not running into D-rate or anything. So it was uh, as, as it was. And, and he was still getting the best mileage he'd got since he'd, he'd bought it, which was only in the, uh, I think he was high sixes. And he skipped right over the sevens and got into the eights with it after we uh, after we put this on. But he was amazed. He was completely amazed. I'm like, it's you know, I, I'm of the belief that anything that's too good to be true is usually not true. So I still need to do more testing. But that's three trucks now, and we've seen a minimum of seven tenths gain. And and the larger <laughs> benefits are we're seeing we're seeing pre EGR levels of soot in the oil. You know, and, and I fully expected that. When you showed me how much soot this thing was trapping, I thought, boy, we're going to see clean oil samples. The engines are going to last a lot longer. Components are going to last longer. But I did not expect a fuel mileage increase. And I'm like you, a, a mile to the gallon, I'm, my mind's just blown. I can't figure out why or how, but you're right. That's three trucks now. So there's the music. Let me get to a break. We'll come right back. We'll talk about that some more and then we'll get to some calls and questions don't go away we'll be right back this is the power hour i'm kevin rutherford
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Bruce and John and JR with me from Pittsburgh Power. We're talking about the soot separator right now and, and fuel mileage. You know, John, the first time we saw that big increase on the first truck, I thought, nah, probably just a fluke. The weather's changing. There's other stuff going on. Then we saw another big increase, and I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting, two in a row. And now three. I, I'm intrigued. And, and that's three different, three different trucks. The three different engines, and what I found, the level of soot, it's not going up incrementally as, as, as I thought it would. It seems to stabilize at some point in, in, the, in the canister itself, but I believe the engine's creating less because it's not trying to burn uh, some. So, so I believe that the, I don't know if it, um, how should we put it, when you mix it in with a combustion process, if it actually attracts even more. You know, so we have an exponential effect when we're when we're burning with stuff, and now that we've stopped it from making its way back in, that it uh, it's actually creating less, so we even have less to catch. Because initially yeah, they catch a whole lot, and then then it slows down. So that right. that was kind of my thought that the, the engine is just just creating less as well. And you know, maybe these tunes are so optimized from the factory to deal with the fact that it's got to have some particulate matter in with the combustion process that once you remove at least you know the the seventy percent or eighty percent of it that we're removing, um, maybe there you know it's just that much more efficient naturally. You know, I mean that the, these things are you know, the, the manufacturers work tirelessly on these things. I'm sure to get them to run with all this stuff in place. Um, right. So you know what they whatever they've done to compensate for the uh, the soot being in there, we're maybe now taking advantage of where where it wasn't before. So just some theories. Uh, now Bruce has got a got a really good philosophy on it too. We'll hand it over to him now. Kevin, here's my theory. You know, I like to keep it simple so we can all understand it. If you have a log fire that's fed with natural gas and you were to throw sand on it and you kept throwing sand at it, you're going to diminish the flame. So to keep the flame the same height as you keep adding the sand, you have to keep giving it more gas, more gas. So... What I think the OEMs have done is they know that they're eating six pounds of soot every 30,000 miles in an EGR engine. So they've increased the amount of fuel to bring the power up for the 565, 600, whatever. Now we take the soot out of there. Now all of a sudden you're gaining the horsepower and horsepower properly used always renders into fuel mileage. And that's what I that's, think is happening. It's an interesting thought. Um, it's exciting for sure because it, this device would be worth it just for the soot removal from the oil, just for engine life and everything else, component life, sensor life. It'd be worth it just for that. The fuel mileage increase is just off the charts, though. What a bonus that could be. Mm -hmm. well, and we and even a new... We have, oh, go, go we have a brand new X15. We have a brand new X15 Cummins coming in, and we're doing the full tilt intake, full tilt exhaust, and the soot separator. And he's going to try to get us to us within the first 1,000 miles. And this is going to be a truck that we're going to monitor, and we're hoping that it runs 1.5 to 2 million miles before it needs an in chassis. 
Now that's actually going to be a few years, but this will be the truck that we heavily monitor to test the new X15 Cummins. All right, that sounds exciting. We got to make sure we get him on fuel gauges so we can watch the fuel mileage. We'll watch it on there. Yeah. yeah. Another thing, I've got my guys setting up a. Do we have a provision on gauges, or do we need to do another profile to do def consumption? Or is there a way to work that into what we have there? I guess it's more of a question for Aaron. Yeah, what we're doing right now, um, having it in there and making it easy is on our development list, and they're working on it. But what we've been doing right now is creating a second truck. Um, you know, if you right. call the truck number one, then we call the second truck one dash DF, and then right, you know right. we we. Try to but we're working on merging them in. But right now, that's how we do it with a second profile. Because that's where the serious, uh, again, th this is another thing that, that makes some of it uh, believable, is the fact that the def consumption has gone down. And that is, that's self-policing by the ECM. So it uses the, uh, <coughs> excuse me, it uses the, the NOx sensors to uh, tell it how much def to administer. And NOx is... Uh, directly proportionate to heat and fuel being burned. And what it does is uh, tells it how much def to administer to keep the NOx at the tailpipe or at the stack at a at a below a specified limit. So that's a dynamic system that has a specified limit and it does it, it administers whatever it needs to keep the NOx emissions below that specified limit that's programmed in. So these trucks have seen huge decreases in def consumption. So we're we're thirty percent at least on the first two, I don't have I don't have a def number on the ISX that we just did, but I'm assuming it's going to be the same as the first two. And 30 to 50 percent we've seen decrease. We're at nearly uh, uh, Tad isn't at nearly 400 miles per gallon on the def right now, which is wow, you know, nearly double what he was before. Yeah, that's incredible. Right. So that's the one that uh, that really intrigues me, and that should lead to a whole lot less maintenance on the whole after treatment system. Absolutely. And the the cost savings potential on this are just, it's incredible. Right. That That's our goal. Well, <laughs> Save these guys yeah, some money. That, so that'll work well. Well, that's exciting. That's exciting. All right. Anything else or should we get to some calls? Let's take the no, call. I'm ready for some calls. All right. Let's do it. Let's start off in... Let's see. Let me get back up to the top here. Start off in Arizona. George, welcome to the program. Hey, greetings and salutations from Arizona, land of gluten-free Gila Monster. There you go. What's got, up today? I got two quick questions. One about Schneider gliders. Um, looking at the pictures, they have almost, they just have the gauges that are required by law, and that's it. Um <laughs> Is, are, is that something they are pre-wired to update so we can have a full gauge package, or is that going to be a big, huge mess? Well, the two extra gauges that that I'd like to see you put in is that what you really need is the exhaust gas temperature or the pyrometer, and that has nothing to do with the wiring in the truck, and the turbo boost okay. gauge. Turbo right. boost gauge kit. It's only $68. The pyrometer kit's about 172 And it's a real okay. pet peeve of mine of when people call me 
and they don't have those Uh-oh. two gauges, and they say their power is yeah. down and their fuel mileage is down, and you can't give me any readings, and I can't give you any help. So those two gauges are a must, and that would have nothing to do with the rest of the wiring in the truck. Right. Okay. So, um, you know, the, the other, in addition to those, I'm looking at stuff like, you know, uh, com- oil component temperatures and stuff like that, you know, te- trans and differentials what? and that sort of thing. Well, sort of thing. the... The quick way to handle this is put in the uh, pyrometer and turbo boost gauge as mechanical gauges. The prices on those are reasonable, right. and that's an easy install. And then, then put in a scan gauge KR, and you'll pick up everything else in the ECM. Okay. All right. And the other question is, I live out in California, and my old red pig's got almost 2.1 on it now. Um and it's getting time to update. I need them to go the Schneider Glider or Landstar is requiring a California compliant vehicle since I live there. Um, and the ISX is now. I, I haven't driven anything newer than a than than this '99 in a long time, and I know nothing about these systems. Where could I get myself educated so I know what to look for? and how to select one of these trucks. I know everything. Oh, I know mostly what I need to know with the exception of which truck to pick based on engine history, that sort of thing. Well, if I were you, I would buy a brand. I'd buy a brand new truck with all the extended warranties I could. And then I'd get a load east. And bring it into our shop, and let's do the emissions tune-up on it. So you and get the soot separator on it, and the intake and right. the exhaust. And now, now you're set, and you'll have your long factory extended warranty, and you'll be able to truck trouble-free for years. And I just bought a new Dodge yeah. Cummins pickup, and I bought an extended eight-year warranty, and I've never done that in my life. Right. So. There's the music. Let me get to a break. We'll be right back with more stuff right after this. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Thank you. 
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're going to get right back to some phone calls. And uh, let me bring Bruce and John and JR from Pittsburgh Power back on. Hey, Bruce, you know, you just said something that I find interesting because I, I kind of feel the same way. I've been telling people for years. Don't waste your money on extended warranties. And and I've I've changed now on that with the the newer engines, all the complications, all the systems, all the computers, all the sensors. But I wanna I wanna make one thing clear. I still am totally against third party warranties. And I see a lot of people buying these. I think these are a real waste of money and a nightmare. But the and you said it right. The factory extended warranty, I think, on the new trucks is worth buying. And hey, while you're talking about that third party warranty, this Caterpillar, like if you have an older truck and you get it, the engine rebuilt at Cat and they give you that four year warranty, I've been told a couple times that's a third party warranty. Have you heard I, that, I would Kevin? check. I haven't heard that, but I would check that, and it's not hard. I mean, all the paperwork will say that, and if it is a third-party warranty, I would skip it. I mean, I, I a factory warranty is fine. The third-party warranties, I have so many horror stories about those. They do everything they can to get out of paying for anything. Yeah, we had a we had a customer in here that, that told me it was a not only just a third-party warranty, but it's prorated pretty rapidly as well. So, you know, when you get to the end of the four years, there's very little they're going to cover anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I would skip those. But when you're buying a new vehicle from the factory, I think the factory extended warranties are worth it. I agree. All right. So let's, uh, I think, uh, let me check. George, did you have another question? I was just going to say, I know a guy with a radio show that doesn't really like those warranties, <laughs> but I think you already covered that. Yeah, I, I did. And like I say, it, it newer new trucks, factory extended warranty I'll buy. No third parties. I don't buy them on used trucks. Uh, and that's a change for me. Well, not completely. I used to buy the um, extended warranty on the engine from Detroit. Um, I, I had always done that, but. Third party, stay away from those. Let's go to uh, Georgia. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for taking my call, and I'm really enjoying the show today. Um, the question I have is uh, I have a 09 Cascadia for 900,000 miles on it, and a couple of months ago I had to have both of my windshield replaced. And so I decided, since I had over 900,000 miles on it, I decided to also have the gasket that holds the windshield replaced also. Um, since then, um, I've been back and forth in the shop five different times because of the, uh, every time it rains, my windshield, it leaks inside of the truck. And, um, and I had to went to two different companies to try to get this fixed. And it seems like it's no uh, cure or no fix for it. Um, one, and one of the issues that I'm that I'm thinking about doing, one of the things I'm, that I thought about doing, was getting some silicon and just put it in between the seal and the uh, frame. And I just wanted to get you guys uh, 
tips on what I should do, or is it is it anything that I can do, or is that a good idea to uh, just cork it with silicon or, or anything? Okay, let me. Ask, what kind of truck is it? It's an old nine Cascadia. Oh, nine Cascadia. When somebody said you said a word there that I disagree with, you said it can't be fixed. Everything can be fixed. So you yes, have sir. to see what they're doing wrong. God, years ago, back in the late 60s, I worked in a body shop. We put a lot of windshields in. In my T600 Kenworth, I put my own windshields in in an RV parking lot, and they don't leak. Uh, clear silicone oh, wow. made by Permatex and GE, and Permatex make a clear silicone that works wonders on a truck, on anything. You can even glue weather stripping back on with it. So I would try that, but uh, I just think that you, ought to, you need to take that windshield back out and see I, what's I would, going uh, wrong and where it's leaking. And I would do this with much haste. You've got a, some expensive electronics equipment that that leaking windshield can get uh, to contaminate. You get water in a thing called a SAM module on that particular cab, and you will have grief for a very long time. And it'll be a very expensive repair. So, yeah, I would go find a good windshield guy. I would, I would not go, maybe not go to a truck shop, but go to a, a real someone who specializes in windshields and get them to reseal that or replace it, and then take up the bill with uh, whoever you had to do it the first time. But okay. you need to fix this I, I in do a hurry. A, yeah. Okay, while, I really do appreciate it. And while we're talking about leaky windshields, three seventy nine Peterbilts. After a period of years, those windshields need to be taken out and resealed because we get we find a lot of them on the driver's side where the water has penetrated into the fuse panel. And on the passenger side, a lot of people put the Pittsburgh firebox up underneath the dash, and then water gets in it because of that leaky windshield. So anybody running 379s, if you've never had those windshields out, you might want to do that. All right, let's get to some more phone calls. We're off to California. Fred, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Uh, I'd like to talk to you. Uh, hey, hey, Fred, uh, if you could, if you're on a Bluetooth, um, I can barely hear you. Either get closer to the phone, speak up, try something. Yeah, can you, can you hear me now? Nah, it's still not enough. Oh, shit. Um, let, let me let me hang on one sec. Let me let me pull over here. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna put you on hold, Fred. We're gonna come back to you. If I have a hard time hearing you, the callers will never be able to get it. Let's go to Georgia. Charles, welcome to the program. Hi, Charles in Georgia. Yep, that's you. Go ahead. Oh, hey, hey. Uh, I appreciate it. I'm. It's been a long road, but I'm about ready to uh, take the leap and buy a truck. Though. The carrier that's at, that I'm interested in leasing to, it's at the top of my list, requires a carb-compliant truck. So I've been looking at 2008 to 2013 Volvos. Oh, I, I understand that you really detest the Volvo engine. The only other engine combination I saw in that time frame is a Cummins ISX. Is, okay. First, first of all, 2008, 2008, 9, and 10, you want to stay away from those trucks. Oh, okay. 
that was that was the beginning of the DPF, and that was the beginning of a lot of nightmares for the OEMs. I would okay, so I would try to stay. Later. Yeah, I try to stay twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. Okay. All right. That's, yeah, that's I, I agree with that. Um, yes. And the, and clearly. I, oh, go ahead. The IS. It clearly, the ISX in those years, 12 and beyond, not the Volvo engine. Okay. Um, I noticed that when I have the iShift, auto shifter in, that the price seems to be about significantly lower. Is Are they that unpopular, or are there problems with that? Or? Well, that's interesting because I don't know of any problems with the iShift. I actually like that transmission. I, I drove some when they first came out, and I was fairly impressed with it. Um, are you guys aware of any problems with the iShift? No, no we, we don't see many of them here. We, we've had some issues with some of the earlier Eatons, but uh, I've not seen any problems with the with the iShift. Not, not, not have come, come through our shop anyway. But Even at, again, at the, the same I- dealership. I'm sorry, go ahead. If the I shift is just in a Volvo with a Volvo engine, that's why we wouldn't see it, so we wouldn't know. Well, I had the I shift with the Cummins, at least according to the ads I was looking at. Oh. Okay. Well, yeah. um, I wouldn't be afraid of that. It, even even at one the same dealership, there was similar trucks, similar year, probably the same fleet. Um, it was I, I think it was like seven or eight thousand dollar difference, and I couldn't find I, a reason why other than the auto shift. You know, sometimes the best way is ask. The dealer would know why they're pricing those trucks, and it may be something totally different that you're missing, or if it is the I-shift, they'll tell you why. But I'm not aware of any problems with them. Okay. Um, Now, when I go to test drive these trucks, I I can bring a a scan gauge KR with me and and plug it in, and what what readings would I want to pay attention to? Uh, let me, the music's playing. Let me get to a break. We'll come right back and we'll talk about that right after this break. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We'll be right back. All right, so a quick heads up. We're heading into the uh, fourth segment of the first hour. I'll say goodnight, goodbye, all that stuff at the end. Don't hang up. We are going to come back and do a second hour. Let me check on questions for you real quick. Uh, Looks like we could squeeze in some general questions still. So uh, if you have a question, a comment, a topic about anything at all, go ahead and press 1 on your phone. And if you do that right now, we'll be able to get to you in the second hour. Here we go.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. We're down to the final segment. I've got the guys here from Pittsburgh Power helping out, and we're going to get back to your calls and questions. Uh, let's head off to Alabama. Les, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Uh, it seems to be Schneider's Day. I was looking on their website, and they have a plethora of GD13s and the uh, Cascadia 113 chassis. And from what I've read, they can be tuned up to 410 horsepower, I think like 1,400 pounds of torque. Uh, um, and, but they're also about $10,000 less than what we're seeing GD15 with the same amount of mileage, like less than 400,000 miles. Any thoughts on the longevity of DD13s versus DD15s? I'll I'll jump in real quick and then I'll turn it over to you guys. I like the 13. I know the 15's a lot more popular. Um, I'd love to see a 13 with a really good tune on it. Um, I'll ask you guys, but I'm pretty sure we can get more than 400 horse out of it. Um, longevity, if it's like any other Detroit engine, I have to believe these. And, and what I've seen so far, they're million-mile engines without any real work. Um, get a soot separator on it, a good tune, and do the uh, emission systems maintenance, and I'll bet they're 1.3 to 1.5 would be my guess. Um, what do you guys think? Well, I think if it's a third... Well, I'll, I'll go ahead. Me, I'll, John, I'll, I'll get turn it over to you. If we can get out of a 12.7 and a C12 Cat 550 to 700, I don't see why we can't get 550 or 600 out of that 13 liter. But, John, you know more about the DD15s and 13s than I do, so. Well, I absolutely love the DD15. The uh, 13, we've got no experience with. We've not had one through the shop. Uh, so they must be awfully reliable. I hear of no problems with them. We rarely see them here. Uh, we've got had quite a few 15s through again, but with uh, nothing major ever wrong with them. And that seems to be a, a you know a million and a half mile engine pretty easily. Uh, we've not we've yet to rebuild one or had to rebuild one or seen one that needs to be rebuilt. Uh, I've heard of a few problems, but nothing major. So I think the 13. You know, if I were buying a truck, I'd probably buy one of the 13 in it and figure out how to tune it, which we haven't done yet, but I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll have an opportunity to in the future. Well, the problem with the power is not the engine. It's the uh, drivetrain between, you know, the, the drive shaft in that area. They, they tend to be weak as far as horsepower and torque. And people are reporting getting nine miles per gallon out of those suckers. Well, that's I, what I I'm thinking. That commonly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let me say this about drive. Torque, torque ratings on drivetrains were basically for company drivers that like to start out and plant their foot to the floor. Owner-operators never drive their truck in that manner. So even if the drivetrain is for a lower amount of torque, uh, the strain that the, train, the drivetrain sees is when you start out and you're going up through the gears. And if you're gentle with it, it doesn't matter how much power and torque you have. You're still not going to break the drivetrain. All right, good. Thanks a lot, guys. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's uh, let's see. Let's head off to Missouri. Benjamin, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, gentlemen. 
Can you What's hear me? on your mind yeah, today? Uh, yeah, I've got a 1999 um, FLD. It's got a 12-7 Detroit in it. Um, I know this is going to be review. <laughs> you talked about it a hundred times, probably a thousand. But uh, I'm looking at um, increasing mileage. Um, looking at a, a big Bork Werner turbo, high flow exhaust manifold, maybe larger free flowing exhaust. I'm open to suggestions. I'm getting about six four. I'm not hauling heavy freight. Uh, I'm southwest regional, uh, actually uh, southeastern regional. Um, and I'm going about 67, which is probably faster than what you guys would like, but that's what I'm comfortable with. So there it is there. Well, you know, you hit the nail right on the head. The manifold, the turbo, probably needs a damper and a balancer, the straight-through quiet performance mufflers, and either the power box or our ECM programming, and along with the fast fuel system, and you have everything. And then there's no reason yeah, why like you can't... Uh, be in the eight and nine mile per gallon range but what rear gears do you have um i can't tell you that right off i knew you were going to ask it i'm driving or i'd or i'd look well um, no it seems tell like me what, pretty... at, at 67 what's your rpm um about 15 and a half 16. low pro 22.5 tires yeah low pro 22.5s Sounds like three seventies. Well, yeah. that that's what I'm thinking. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Three seventies. Okay. Right now, what is your turbo boost? Are you on the level? And what's your turbo boost at sixty-seven? Well, you're gonna hate me, but I don't have a pyrometer or a turbo uh, or or a boost pressure gauge. But I do have the scan gauge on order. It should, it's probably, in fact, it might be in my mailbox right now. Okay, so well, I rest I my case. I can't, I can't help you yeah. on driving technique <laughs> right now without the gauges. So. Yeah. I, I know I need to slow down at least a couple mile an hour. So, all right. I appreciate the information, guys. You have a good afternoon. All right. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Canada. Abe, welcome to the program. Hi. I have... Uh, we have a 60 series Detroit. We rebuilt it, new head, new injectors, everything. And we got about 10,000 miles on it. And it is uh, on a cold start. It has a really bad miss for at least 15 minutes or it gets up to operating temperature and a lot of blue smoke until it's warmed up. Once it's warmed up at operating temperature, everything is good. Did you miss our shows and our articles about the BK and MK Detroit, and not to build a certain ones. Um, I guess I have. <laughs> okay, John, refresh him you, on the, you, uh, which ones he, he doesn't want to build and which one he wants to build. Well, the the PK is the one that you don't want to build, and the BK is the one that you need to build that spec. Uh, what year? What, what is it? A D deck three or D deck four? It's a ninety eight. 98, so it's, that's a 3, It's right? a 500 horse. No, that's a 4. That's the beginning of the 4. Yeah, I, okay. Yeah I, okay. I think, yeah, I think it is a 4, and it's a 500 horse. Okay, good. Good, good. Um, yeah, that's yeah, you, did, what, you built the you, wrong engine. Go ahead. Well, really, you could have just changed the pistons. You, you could have put the piston from the BK and then left everything else alone. You'd have been fine. Okay. Uh, but, yeah, that's a low-compression engine for NOx reduction. 
and they mm-hmm. got the compression a little bit too low. And it seems these new pistons, I believe, um, they're labeled as as the correct uh, uh, compression ratio, but I believe that they changed them for the low NOx engines to get to for the NOx reduction. And the lower compression engine is now so low that in the cold you will get that white smoke until it warms up. And there's not a whole lot you could do to it. Uh, we've tried tunes, we've tried different injectors, we've tried cams, we've got thousands and thousands of dollars in in uh, trying to get the engines with these low compression pistons to run clean if it's below 40 degrees uh, Fahrenheit outside, and it just doesn't seem to happen. And the only way we've been able to solve the problem is to just put the higher compression pistons in. Okay, because it's like, it smokes like really, really bad for the first 15 minutes, even if it's not uh, not that cold outside or whatever. Oh, yeah. we know that well. Like, yeah, it doesn't have to yeah. be that cold. Wait till it gets cold. It's going to really be interesting. Yep. Okay, so there's uh, the other thing is too on the uh, by the number five cylinder by the manifold joint there uh, when you first start it up when it's cold it seems like there's uh, it's getting wet there and it seems like it's probably fuel or something. Yeah, it's lava. It is it's fuel. Burn fuel. Yep. Yep. Yeah. If you put yeah, our manifold on, it, if you put our manifold on, it's a press fit. It's a three thousandths interference fit, and okay. you'll gain a quarter mile of the gallon. Your truck will run freer, and you won't have that fuel running out of there. But you need to give us a call that, and let us send you a set of pistons to put in there. Okay, so they are, but okay, but if it is fuel, that's that's only because of the uh, pistons and just uh Low compression. Correct. That's correct. Okay. So not you much. You don't have enough heat. In the, you don't have. You don't have enough heat in the combustion chamber to burn all the fuel. So once it warms up, it seems to run pretty good, though. So they'll run great. You put the manifold and turbo on, and give it some fuel. It really runs great. But you have to contend with that smoke when you start it. There you go. With that, we've got to wrap it up. Music's playing. They're chasing me out. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. We'll see you next time. Thanks to the guys from Pittsburgh Power. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, so a quick heads up. We're going to start a second hour, and right now there is room for questions. So uh, I've got some questions, and I'll just we'll record till we run out. But if you want to jump in right now, you'll be able to get in if you press one on your phone. And we're going to get started. So here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket.
welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and give me a call. We're going to get to those calls. We're just going to jump right into them tonight uh, and see how many we can get to. So let's get started in Montana. Ron, welcome to the program. How's it going? I've uh, heard somebody asking about the DD-13 versus the 15, uh, and I just looked at at those engines in a Western Star, and the DD-13 is actually rated at a higher horsepower and torque now, if you go to buy one now, than the DD-15 is. DD-15 only goes up to 505. The DD-13 goes up to 525 or 550, something in that range. I thought it was really bizarre. But my question, based on that, you know, looking at a new truck, uh, I I want to buy a new truck, and my company's going to buy all new Western Stars here next year. I was thinking about getting in with them to get a discount on you know volume, versus buying you know going to Crossville and buying a uh, glider with an N14 in it, uh, and you know the price difference is pretty significant. I priced one out for you know the glider; it's going to be almost one hundred and forty thousand dollars before putting the OPS and the fast and all that stuff on it. Whereas I can get for one hundred nine thousand, I can get a. a uh, Western Star 4900 SB, which is their more aerodynamic one, not that new Optimus Prime truck, but the uh, one that looks like a Kenworth T800. Right. Uh, and I'm just, you know, 109,000 versus over 140,000. I'm just wondering what the, you know, reliability today of the, you know, the especially the DD series engines are. Are we seeing a lot of, you know, improvements? I've listened to you for quite a while on how much you hated the the emissions engines. Uh, I'm just wondering yeah. if they're, you know, are they getting better? Uh, they are much better. And, and I'll kind of give you the, the rundown here. If you've been listening a long time, you remember when the DD came out, I said, I I'm still don't like all the emissions. I don't like all the junk. I wouldn't own one of these. But if somebody put a gun to my head and made me buy a new truck, the only engine I would consider would be the DD. That that was back in 08, 09. Um, and they still had problems. It, after 12 is when I would consider them. And a new one at 109 with a DD-13, that would be a no-brainer for me. As much as I said I, I'd rather build a glider, given what we're looking at today, and that I didn't know you could buy one that cheap. But if you can buy a, a new Western Star. Well, that's, with, that's what he got. Yeah, he got them. He just bought some, I think, two years ago. He bought a, his replaced the entire fleet, the company I'm working for. He replaced his entire fleet, which, granted, is only 16 trucks, his company fleet, not the owner-operator side, uh, with Western Stars. He was able to get them all the way down, and he spec'd them kind of bizarrely. I mean, he spec'd them to run 78 miles per hour. He has the dual stacks, the dual air cleaners. Uh, I, I don't quite understand why he spec'd everything that way, but you can spec them without the cleaners. You can get the single weed burner exhaust. You know, I mean, it's just like a Kenworth T800, almost identical yeah. to that truck. So same kinds of specs. You know, I would spec mine, you know, much more aerodynamically, you know, and, and 
get 336s with 13 speed, so I can run in 12th gear at you know 58 miles per hour. You know, and then I'm only in my first overdrive gear, uh, and still because there have been certainly instances where I needed to go you know 75 miles per hour, it made sense to go that fast to get a high-paying load somewhere. So I want the ability to go that fast, even though I don't generally drive that fast. You know, I've, I've got a 2013 Cascadia right now with the ISX in it, which was a very big bummer when I, I really wish it had the DD engine in it, but, it, you know, I'm only getting 6.23, uh, you know, I'm flatbed. So, you know, that concludes <laughs> oversized loads and stuff, but I, I'm just like, holy crap, that sucks. When I came out of a 97 International 9400 getting, you know, 7.4, and that included hauling 105.5. So right. it was kind of a shock with the, you know, and I, I'm just, it's never had EGR issues. Uh, it's had some diesel after treatment issues, you know, sensors and stuff. But other than that, I mean, the engine runs great, hasn't had any EGR problems, but it's certainly not getting what I think it should for, for fuel mileage. And, you know, I'm thinking about going in with my company, you know, because he's buying 16 more trucks next year. And he was able to get them down to 109,000 uh, before any taxes or anything else. You know, I, I'm I'm getting I, I'm getting closer and closer all the time to saying if I built a new or, or if I wanted a truck today, um, even if the prices were the same for the Western Star you're talking about, the DD13 and a glider, I, I'm starting to lean towards the newer truck. I'd love some of the new technology. We're not seeing all the problems with these engines. Um, they're getting awesome fuel economy. And we now know that if something does go wrong, we know somebody that can fix it. And, and we also know that with, their, with Pittsburgh Power's um, emission system maintenance every 250,000 miles, they stay running right. I think these engines are going to last a long time. I think the fuel mileage is going to be awesome. The only change I would make to what you're talking about, um, I believe that they have a single overdrive transmission available in that drive line. I asked. And if it I asked. And no they do, don't. Because I oh, specifically they asked them for no they do not. Uh Eaton does okay. not currently produce a single overdrive 13. I specifically asked for that because that's what I wanted. Uh, I was going to yeah. get 279s single overdrive 13 and I they don't offer the single overdrive 13. Okay, so then I'd go go with yours. I think this is easily going to be an eight and a half, nine mile per gallon truck. Here's the way I, I'm looking at this now. The glider is still our least risky option. We know everything about them. There isn't, there are no surprises. Worst case scenario, we can fix them. Even if things go horribly wrong, we know how to fix them. There are no surprises. Uh, we know what we're getting. And we can build a glider that'll get eight, eight and a half, maybe even nine miles to the gallon with the right modifications, the right operation. Um, so that's, you can't go wrong if you go buy a glider. It, it's pretty hard to go wrong. But I think there's actually more potential now for the newer trucks to get even better fuel economy. Um, we're, we're learning how to keep the maintenance cost. Uh, th there's one thing that, on the newer truck, we can get even better fuel economy if everything's right. We're going to spend a little more on maintenance. It, it costs more to maintain a new 2017, 2018 than it does a glider. 
you know, a glider we can maintain for 10 cents a mile. Um, best case scenario on one of these new trucks, we're probably looking at 12 or 13 if everything goes right. But the fuel savings would make up for that. So now that we're past the problems that we couldn't solve, those reoccurring problems, the poor fuel economy that nobody could fix. Now that we're past that, I, I think if you want to build a glider, it's pretty hard to go wrong. But I think there's more potential well, the other, in the new time. Well, the other, other thing is, is you know, try, trying to deal with, you know, I don't want to sell, have to try and sell this truck outright. I know I can get more, you know, selling it outright, but I can trade this truck in. And, you know, my, the owner of our company, we're small enough, I actually, you know, have his cell phone number. I, I love working for small companies. And he was able to work out some pretty awesome deals that extend to his owner-operators as well if, he, if they go in with him. You know, so he's been getting some pretty good trade-in values on his trucks, you know, plus he got the, the super low price, I thought, for, you know, the Western Stars he has now. And, you know, I'm just looking at it going, you know, I'm not risk-averse, so, you know, taking risk doesn't bother me. You know, I'm just looking at 140000 plus I'm, you know, the extra five or 6000 to put all the goodies on it versus just buying the, the Western Star. I like the Western Star, uh, you know, look. I, uh, I mean, it's a nice truck. It's, you know, I've driven one of his company trucks. They're great. And, uh, you know, as long as I can get the... I, I'm just most worried about, you know, having one of those, you know, like, EGR issues where somebody's replacing turbos every six weeks and nobody knows why. You know, that you would know, put me out of business. And yeah, we're we're not seeing that on the DD series after 11. The, the 12 and beyond, we're not seeing those reoccurring EGR uh, turbo issues. Um, Every now and then you'll get a truck that'll have some sensor problems, but it's not horrendous. I, I think if I were sitting in your shoes right now, based on everything you've told me, that I would be ordering that Western Star. Uh, that's too good of a deal to pass up. And you're right. I'd much rather just trade off my truck and not have to screw around with it. So I'm with you on this one. I think it would be the Western Star for me. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. We're off to Texas this time. Lewis, welcome to the 
Hey, Kevin, how you doing today? Good. What can I help you with? All right. Hey, what do you? What's your opinion on uh, a glass installer or windshield installer standing on top of your engine while he's installing your windshield? Well, it depends on the engine and where he's standing, but you've got to watch some of those valve covers, that's for sure. I think, uh, I don't know, when I bought this truck approximately about a year ago, I I can't, I don't know if it's the brakes that everybody put on there or if it's uh, this or that or whatever, but it seems like I, I lost almost a, a mile per gallon. Um, but uh, I heard somewhere along the line that you're not supposed to stand on top of those and these guys say, oh, we do it all the time. And you know, I, I know that fellow was a 200 pound, but anyway, yeah, mine's an N14. Um, so hopefully it's a little bit, it's not plastic. <laughs> well, there, there's nothing that, that, that would affect fuel economy there. Uh, you mentioned something about um, brakes. What brakes? Yeah, brakes, dry brakes on it. Uh, I noticed it seemed like uh, I thought they, I, that could have been an issue. And, and it also seems to be climbing up a little bit, back up to 7.1, 7.3. But it okay. was it was up to 7.8 to 8, but it dropped all the way to 6.3 there for a while, 6.5. I don't know. My, my guess is it's probably weather-related more than anything. We just came through a pretty rough winter for fuel economy, and if it's coming back up, that would be a pretty good indication that it was weather-related. Um, if they did any damage standing up there, we would know it. You wouldn't just see a drop in fuel economy. There would be obvious damage. Um, I, I do, I'm not a big fan of people standing on top of the valve covers. Um, there are times when... You know, you don't have any choice working out in a parking lot, but um, you cert should certainly stay away from it. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Mark, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, thanks for taking my call. I keep missing your discussions on the soot separator. Could you just kind of run over it basic real quick and explain the how they operate? Yeah, so this is a really interesting device. This is totally um, conceived and designed by John Malco over at Pittsburgh Power uh, and totally fabricated by him right now as well. And if you see one, they are just a work of art. I mean, what a, what a beautiful design and the way he builds it, puts it together. Um, we're still very, very early in the testing. They only have three trucks right now. Uh, but they have three totally different engines. The It, it is basically um, kind of a vortex. So it, it gets the air spinning in a way that makes the solids drop out. And, and, you know, there are other designs like this, but that's what he's doing. The soot is solid. Um, so as the air spins and we create low pressure, the soot drops out into the trap and only clean air gets into the intake now there's two different ways they're installing it one is before the egr and the other is after um 
the better installation is before the EGR, but on some trucks, it's really tricky. They, and they're going to have to do some work on that. The easy way is just to install it on the crossover pipe comes into the intake. And that was the latest one they just did was an ISX where they did the simple install just on the crossover tube. And the, the interesting thing is in the very beginning, it, of soot out and then it actually slows down and you don't get as much soot later on and the theory we're thinking is when you stop the soot from going into the engine in the first place then the engine produces less so as soon as we stop the soot or clean it up and they they believe they're taking out about 80 percent 70 to 80 percent of the soot which is a lot but we think that by taking that 70 or 80% out to begin with, then the engine produces even less. That, that was a, uh, we didn't see that coming. But now that we're watching, you know, it takes a whole bunch of soot out in the beginning and then it starts to uh, taper off. So we believe again, that once you get the soot out of there, then the engine produces less and you don't even have to filter as much or drop as much out. So it's working really, really well. I mean, we can see the soot in the trap immediately, so we know it's pulling it out. What surprised us was the fuel mileage increases we have seen. The first truck they put it on, a DD-15, it got 1.2 miles to the gallon, 1.1 or 1.2, which I said, that's gotta be a fluke. That that can't be right. I don't understand the physics, but that's interesting. And the DEF consumption was cut almost in half on that truck. And that's the truck that they've had it on the longest. We're tracking it on fuel gauges. Um, and the results are pretty amazing so far. The second truck they put it on. I don't know uh, why. We don't know why. No, we don't. We have some theories um and you know we talked about um the fact that bruce's theory seems to make a lot of sense to me um when you have all that soot in the combustion chamber in order to get good power it takes more fuel to overcome the soot that's in there to create the same combustion but if you get that combustion or that soot out of there and you've got good clean air, then it takes a lot less fuel to produce the same horsepower. Theory actually makes some sense to me. And if we look at our engines historically, you know, we had we had 12.7 Detroits that we were getting nine miles to the gallon out of fairly consistently. When you look at the new trucks with the new engine designs, all the new efficiencies, better aerodynamics, all the things that are going on, those should be 10 plus mile per gallon trucks. And we've never been able to get that out of them or very seldom. It could be just the soot, just the EGR that's killing the fuel economy because everything else is better. And it might be that it's something at, as seemingly simple as just cleaning up that air it's almost like we're back to a non-emission engine at this point so it, it could just be that that's the kind of fuel economy these engines should be getting if they didn't have the emissions 
And by cleaning up that soot, we're, we're almost recreating the engine without the emissions. And that may be why we're getting this amazing fuel economy. Everything else about the truck should get better fuel economy. Like I said, we've, we've improved everything over the last 10 years or so. And I, used to, I was saying this five and six years ago. I was saying if we could uncover these engines, I think they would be amazing. Um, but we're not allowed to do that, and we're not doing that anymore. We're not deleting anything. Um, all the emissions are intact. The, they will pass every emissions test. In fact, they're burning even cleaner now with the soot separator. Yeah, and there's a tremendous number of benefits to this. Um, your DPF is going to stay a lot cleaner. You're not going to need to do nearly as many regens. You're not going to use as much DEF. You're going to get better fuel economy. Your oil's going to stay cleaner and last longer. And all of the sensors and components and the engine itself, they're all going to last longer without that soot. So I'm just really, really optimistic about the long-term benefits of this and the the second truck got a seven-tenths of a mile per, per gallon increase, which is huge. And then the latest one they just did, we don't have a lot of history on this one yet, but it's already up over a mile per gallon. So that's three trucks, three so engines, three increases. Um, pretty impressive. Are they still just are they in, the testing, just in phases, the testing phases, or are they actually, phases, or are they actually selling it? Now they're still testing because right now they're still individually fabricating each one, and that would be expensive. So what they're trying to do is get all the testing done, tweak it, make it as you know the best they can possibly make it. Then they need a version designed for each truck because the configurations are a little different, and then if these results continue. Um, we're we're going to go look at manufacturing this uh, more of a mass-produced kind of way instead of hand fabricating each one and then get the cost down. So uh, still in the testing phase, but right now the results are pretty amazing. I'm going to get to a break. We'll come right back with more stuff right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. 
The website is letstruck.com. We're going to get right back to some phone calls. Let's head off to Ohio. Herschel, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Good. What's on your I mind have today? A, well, you know my truck to some degree. I've got an 04 Columbia with a 14-liter D-Deck 4 that's been Bruce Malisonized, so it's not exactly a stock horsepower. <laughs> okay. So... I have the original Life, Life One clutch. I've got plantar fasciitis. Now I'm getting a little older. My hip don't work as good as it used to. Man, that thing is a bear to push in. So yes, I was it talking is. to the guys at Life. I was talking to the guys at Life. I called them. Man, they were Johnny on the spot to talk to me, sent me information, all kinds of stuff. And I wonder what your take was. He said the original Life that I have now is the toughest one of all. Now they have a Life 1 that they're actually calling an easy pedal, and they have a Life 2 that is very comparable to the Eaton easy pedal. And which one do you think would be the one to use? Because I got all kinds of torque. He says the Life 2 is good for 2050 on torque rating. And the Life One Easy Pedal is good for 2400. So I don't know which one I should use. I just need that clutch to not be so hard to push. Got it. So you know the history on Life Clutch been around a long time. I love the design, really clean, simple design. But they were they for a long, long time they were considered considered a specialty clutch. Like heavy haulers loved them. Anybody in the pulling world, you know, used the Life Clutch. And it did have that that really hard pedal. I mean, it you knew the difference in that pedal. Um, when they came out with the Life Two, was when I got really interested in it as a as an over the road normal operation clutch. It still has that clean, simple design, but the pedal is so much easier now. And twenty fifty is plenty of torque rating. I mean, I wouldn't even care if I had the 2,400 foot-pounds of torque. I'd still be comfortable with the 2050. So I would go with the Life 2. It's the easiest one on your leg, and it holds up to that kind of torque with no problem. Yeah, because this Life 1 original that I have is harder enough to push that I I really did make a block of 2x4, cut it just right, bolted it to the pedal, because I couldn't get my foot all the way to the floorboard to get into the clutch brake. I couldn't reach it unless right. I was clear up against right. the steering wheel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, the Life 1, like I said, that was more of a specialty clutch. Uh, but the Life 2 is a great over-the-road clutch. That's the one I would go with. Okay. Okay. I'll look into it. Thank you, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. We're going to head off to Massachusetts. Jim, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Uh, I was uh, on my 99 D-Deck 4. Uh, I put in synthetic oil in it, and I thought I was doing a good thing. And I called over to Pittsburgh Power, and I was talking to them about another uh, issue we were having. I told them I put synthetic in it. And they were telling me, and they said, do myself a favor, oil out of it, and go back to conventional oil on that engine. Any reason? They said they were having problems with the 12.7 uh, the, uh, and the synthetic oils. They, they weren't lubricating the way they, they seemed they think they should be. 
And that's why they told me to go back to conventional oil again. So his what last words to me were just 99. Okay, when you, say, when you say his last words, who specifically were you talking to at Pittsburgh Power? I was talking to the, the service manager at Pittsburgh Power. Okay, so there are a lot of people that work there. Not everybody has the right. same opinion. I, I completely disagree. The, the well, that, only that's what I'm trying to see what your opinion is. Yeah, the only difference, the only time I don't recommend synthetic is when you're burning a lot of oil. Because two things happen. One, if you're burning a lot of oil, synthetic is going to burn more because it's got a, a thinner film. It's got a stronger film strength, but a thinner film, so it allows more oil to get past the rings. So if you're burning a lot of oil, then you might want to switch back to a conventional. And synthetic is expensive. If you're burning a lot of it, who wants to waste all that money on oil? But if the engine's tight, and let's say you're burning a gallon every seven or 8,000, I'm still going to stick with synthetic. If I get down to where I'm burning a gallon every 5,000, then I might switch back over to mineral oil. So that's the one difference. Any, any oil, yeah. Okay, so that's that's the, thing, that's the only thing I look at when they say if, if somebody says it's not lubricating as well, I, I'd love to know their evidence for that, because I read more oil samples than anybody I know. And I have been for a very, very long time. And there's no evidence if it wasn't lubricating then something would fail. We would see higher wear metals and we don't. I mean, I've been running synthetic oil in that engine since the early 90s. In fact, 1990 was when I bought my first Series 60 and, and ran synthetic in it back then. Um, synthetic oil is a better oil. Hands down, nobody that understands oil disagrees with that statement. It's a superior oil. So to say it doesn't lubricate, I'd love to hear their reasoning behind that and see some evidence because 20 years of doing that, there's no evidence of that. He made it sound that, that they were having some issues with, I think just that particular model and vintage of the engine. Uh, now I've been running synthetic in a, uh, a six NZ cat and have had no issues whatsoever. Uh, and that's why I put well, it in they, the Detroit. I owned many, many 99s, um, and, and that engine didn't change. In 99, it was a D-Deck 4. We had multiple years of D-Deck 4s, and I ran synthetic in all of them from day one. I mean, after my first oil change, they would go right to synthetic. Every one of my Series 60s made it 1.2, 1.3 million miles, never had a problem with them. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that you didn't know of any just that particular version or if they were having any lubrication issues. I'd rather go back to synthetic again, like I was using. And, uh, you know, oh, I they would. just made it sound like I should get that out. So no, no, it was a quick, it was a quick oil change. <laughs> yeah. Now I, I'd go back to the synthetic. And my next question is they were mentioning something about on um, that vintage of engine, uh, of the low compression, uh, pistons, uh, when it's cold, it would have a tendency to blow a little white smoke. Do you know what yeah. years the, the low compression pistons are in? 
I don't. Um, I do know it is the DDAC4, the one you've got. So that's a possibility, right. and you have to look at the, the build on it. Uh, but I don't know each year or I when they started or when they didn't. I don't get a terrible amount of white smoke, but when it's cold, you will get some white smoke. clears up fairly quickly, and it's a non-issue. Getting eight miles at a gallon with the truck, plenty of power. Got uh, a lot of add-ons on it, uh, plenty of horsepower. Not having any issues with it, but I was just—I was that's the first time anyone's ever told me it could have uh, low compression pistons, and also that wetness on the manifold that they were talking about a little bit. I do get that if you're not running the truck uh, hard, or if you shut it on and off a lot, you'll get a little unburnt fuel out of the, where the manifold is. Yeah, and that's fairly common. I, I don't think you've got the low compression pistons based on what I'm hearing. Uh, you could always call Pittsburgh Power, give them the engine serial number, and they'll figure it out for you. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Sarah and Vic, welcome to the program. Hey, how's it going today? Um, Good. I just had an answer had an answer for the guy called in a day or so ago about the 34-hour rule. According to yep. Landline Now, Congress has completely thrown out all changes to the 34-hour rule. So there is no longer restrictions on what time of day you can take it or the frequency, how many times during the week you can take the 34-hour rule. All changes have been completely thrown out. Okay, so we're we're back to way back when, before we ever had the changes. Yes. And okay. then the other thing I have is um, just a concept question, and then you can put oh. me back on hold. Okay, go ahead. Uh, is that the music? Yeah, let me let me put you on hold. We'll come back. I don't want to rush it, and we'll uh, we'll see what concept we're talking about. Check out the website. It's letstruck.com. Head on over to the store. We have all kinds of great stuff in there. Um, I'm having a lot of fun finding new, high-quality, healthy foods and stuff you can carry in the truck easily. We'll keep adding stuff over there. Check it out. It's letstruck.com. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothberg. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. I'm going to get right back to the phone call. Sarah, go ahead. Okay. The fair tax is a national sales tax. And from what I've been listening to in the news, um, a lot of anchor stores are losing sales because of online purchases. 
and a lot of states are scrambling trying to figure out how they can recoup money that they're losing because when you buy stuff online you don't pay a state sales tax so how are they going to or what do you think they're going to have to do to apply the national sales tax to online purchases that's all i got my my guess is and and i'll keep you on the line my guess is that they're just going to implement it and you will pay um sales tax on online purchases you'll pay the federal the, the fair tax part of it, um, I think the states will just continue on the way they are. Although the states keep trying, uh, I have to deal with this. And I learned something just recently about this. The way I understood state sales tax and the internet was you charged state sales tax in the state that you operate out of, the company operates out of, which us being in Oregon, we have no state sales tax, so we don't have to charge it. But what I found out, and this really hurt us, is any state that you have an employee in, you have to charge state sales tax on internet sales. We're a virtual company. We have employees all over the country. So now we have to go deal with these states and state sales tax and if we have an employee, for example, we have an employee in Florida, uh, we have to charge if, if somebody is in the state of Florida and buys from our website, we have to charge because we have an employee there. So that means we have Florida, Ohio, Missouri, Washington, Idaho. Um, that was news to me. I thought it was only where the company operated out of. So the, uh, the states are... Rule. It, it is. And this or here's another one. If you go to trade shows. So we have to fight. We have to charge sales tax in Texas and Kentucky, even though we now Kentucky, I'm going to drop because, well, we might drop both because we don't we don't exhibit anymore. Um, but once you're in their system like Texas, the way they found out and the way we didn't know this we were at the Dallas truck show selling stuff and the, the state tax auditors visit the shows regularly. And they came by and said, we need to see your state sales tax paperwork. We, said, we don't have any, we're only here for three days. They said, doesn't matter. Not only do you have to pay the sales tax on those sales at the show, but now you're in the system and you have to pay every sale in Texas. Uh. Yeah, it's a mess. Wow. I, but, but to answer your question, I think it's going to be pretty straightforward. There's not going to be any exemption for online sales. They're going to charge the fair tax. Okay. I was just, I, that just popped into my head the other day. I was wondering about that. Yeah, good thinking. But uh, I, I'm pretty, you know, it, 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 I've read virtually everything. I can find and I don't remember that being addressed but it's possible it's because it was developed so long ago long before we were thinking about internet stuff um, I'll go do a little research but my guess is there are way 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 too many internet sales um, and there's no reason on a federal tax not to charge it like I said if you're in the state you have to charge it it's uh, and we're going to see changes to those kind of rules 
as technology develops. Let's go to Illinois. Mark, welcome to the program. How are you doing, Kevin? How's everything? Good. What can I help you with today? Um, well, I've got a 2012 KW T660 with a pet car engine. I've had it for almost a year, and I've watched my my mileage kind of start to slip away. Um, I changed over to synthetic oil, and my mileage is still kind of slipping away. It's gotten down to its lowest now at about, I don't know, 5.7, down from about 6.87. So I was wondering, do you know if uh, Bruce and those guys have developed uh, the performance tune for the pet car engine yet? I know they're working on it. They're probably looking for a guinea pig. Um, but I, I would... Okay, I'm a good guinea pig. Yeah, let, let's go back over your numbers again. What was your fuel mileage before things started dropping? It was probably 6.87. Um, and then just over the past year, I watched it slide down. And it's probably right now... So how are you tracking it? Uh, I track it. Well, I've got a scan gauge. So every day I'm watching my scan gauge. Okay. To, uh, and I, 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 obviously I love the scan gauge. It's mine. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't use it for fuel economy. I only use it for driving. To, to teach you how to drive better is why we designed it. The reason we don't use it for fuel economy is it's not accurate. There are no devices on the market that can accurately read fuel mileage going down the road. It is only a guess. And it, it, it's a guess based on all the information that's in the ECM. So the ECM is saying, okay, the RPM is here, the torque is here, the turbo boost is here, the pyrometer is here. Um, with all this information, we think the truck is getting this fuel economy. There's okay. nothing on the truck, any truck, of, with any kind of fuel mileage device, there's nothing on that truck that can measure fuel flow. And even if it could, we still have a big problem because not all the fuel that yeah. goes to the engine gets burnt. We return a lot of fuel to the tank. So now you'd have to have two, you'd have to have two devices measuring flow, and then you'd have to have a computer to do the math, and it just there aren't any trucks on the road with that. It could be done. The equipment's out there, but it's expensive. So I do. I, I mean, I do. Add, I do look at my uh, my fuel gauges. I mean, I do. That's what I'm. Fuel gauge. I'm that's what I'm looking right, for. I, Are we getting the information from fuel gauges? The problem is, though, is that I'm just busy, busy, busy. So I only enter my information once a month. Um. I had a talk with Aaron one time about that because he asked me. I use a different fuel manager um, when I'm for every day because I was having problems with fuel gauges on my phone, on my cell phone. Um, so, but I make sure that when I do my accounting at the end of the month, I update my fuel gauges. Okay. To, uh, so if you that, that's the first thing. I just want to make sure that we're measuring this accurately and we do have that mm -hmm. big of a drop. Now, did that drop occur over the wintertime? 
actually occurred slowly over the year. Um, okay. So here's the thing. Then. Right now I, it's winter. Yeah. If they develop a tune and I know they're working on it, I would be all over it. No question. But before I did that uh -huh. tune, I would find out why I lost fuel economy. We don't want to use the yeah. tune to possibly cover up some other problem because the tune's going to okay. get your fuel economy back, but it's not, it's not going to fix what went wrong. If the fuel economy dropped because something changed, something went wrong, and I would want to troubleshoot that first, then do the right. tune. Because then we're going to get our maximum fuel economy. We're not just going to cover up a problem. My my plan is that when uh, Bruce and those guys develop that that performance tune, stick my truck in, explain the situation, and see what we find. Then yeah, do that's a good idea. Yep, that's a good idea. That's yeah. the way I would do it. We want to troubleshoot any problems first. Um, but right. I'm fully confident their tune on that engine is going to be as good as all their others and and it, it's well worth it it's one of my favorite modifications is having them yeah, do the I, tune so um I, I that's a good idea once they've got it developed or you might want to call them and see if they're looking for a guinea pig um but do what you just said go in and explain to them show them your fuel gauges records so they can see the fuel ups and what's happened to the fuel economy troubleshoot that problem if there is one um maybe it is weather or other things we'd have to dig in there and see look at the details uh but troubleshoot that then do the tune then you'll be all set there's the music that means i've got to get out of here we'll see you next time be safe be profitable be fit and healthy always do the hard work and master the journey i'm kevin rutherford Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.